0: good morning welcome once again to valley lights church i'm glad to see you're all here today i wanted to make um, another comment about sports camp as well Um, barry did a great job giving you an overview of what to expect and since we're a little bit closer i wanted to share a little bit about it a couple quick updates Um, one exciting update is so far we've got uh, over 40 kids registered and so we got a bunch of people from uh, not just from our church but from the community around here signed up Uh, We have over 30 volunteers from Valley Lights that have signed up to help out, and we're starting to place people, and you know, we've got uh, coaches, we've got teams, uh, team leaders over the kids, we've got all kinds of roles. Um, We also have a missions team coming to serve us from the 176 network, which is the church network that we're a part of, and so there's a team of eight young energetic people (laughs) Um, that are training for ministry and uh, they're in Antioch project, which is the program that I graduated from. and got my Master's of Divinity through this program, but there's eight people training and they've taken the entire week off of work and uh, there's, they're from a church in Huntington Beach in Ontario and Riverside, a team of people from all, all over Southern California coming to help us out. And uh, then we also have two grants that we've received. A thousand dollars from the California Southern Baptist Convention Uh, $2,500 from the Southern California Baptist Ministries Foundation. Um, So we've gotten some financial resources. We're going to need, we'll be spending a lot more than that, but um, some people have really seen the vision of what we're doing and actually want to support it financially. And then another great factor is we've got the school right here that has opened up their campus for us. So we have a location to host this thing that's really I was actually walking out there this morning. We're on the field and basketball courts, and it's a lot of space. It's totally it's it's what we need, and so God's provided a location. And so I wanted to point out we've got people registering. We got uh, we got people helping out. We've got money that's coming in. We've got a location. All of these we have basically, we have a lot of resources that God has brought to our church for this thing to happen, and I feel, I feel excited and grateful when God brings the resources that are needed for a big effort. And so because of all that, because, because the resources are in place, I really believe God has made a straight path for us because he wants us to do something significant. I think he's providing all of this so that we can have an impact in our city. And that's really motivating to me. I think if you were to ask, you know, why, why, why are we doing a sports camp? You know, maybe in addition to it sounding really fun, what, what's, what's maybe the biggest reason that we're doing a sports camp. The biggest reason is, well, I like to say, us for them. Us for them. Meaning we expend ourselves for the good of other people. And that's because that's who we are. That's who Christ is in, expects of his followers is, is for us to do good in our community and really especially that we would give up of our own resources for the good Of leading other peoples to Christ, other people to Christ. And so um, really this is this is a really big way for us to step into our community and really get into neutral turf. You know a church service is like maybe less neutral (laughs) depending on your background. Maybe a church service is perhaps more threatening, but a sports camp on city property, uh, you know, it's part of where families go anyway. This is neutral turf. And um, I think by doing this camp, it's going to allow us to gain a hearing with families in our community that we wouldn't otherwise have. We may be able to build uh, relationships and friendships with people that maybe we'd never have a chance to even meet them before. And so, uh, actually, half of the kids that have registered are unchurched, meaning they don't have a church they go to, or they're not uh, connected to Jesus Christ in any way that we know of. And so, um, in fact, this morning, I got a couple new registrations came through this morning, people signing up, seeing our, we've got some ads on Instagram and Facebook. And One family they, they registered today and they said um, uh, One of the questions is oh, do you have a church that you're a part of and they said no, we just moved into the area And I'm like man, maybe maybe this is just providential timing for us to intersect with some people's lives at just the right time And uh, last last time we did a sports camp. We had a family join our church uh, I don't know if you've met Stephen and Andrea Griffin, but They were part of the camp, that's how we met them, and um, later Stephen became a Christian, got baptized here at Valley Lights, and um, they're they're a part of what we're doing now. And so, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the potential for us to serve our community, help connect people to Christ. And so, I I wanted to ask you to consider joining us in some way, if you're available during the week of sports camp. Uh, One thing, so the thing first that I would ask you to consider is to really move your heart into this effort thinking, like, maybe, you're, maybe you think, uh, you know, I'm going to help out a little bit. What if, you, what if you really invest yourself at a heart level into what's happening here? And it's going to look different for everybody, whatever you're able to contribute. But you know you've moved your heart into the effort. If, if someone asks you about the sports camp and you're like, oh, it's, um, my, my church is doing it and it's a program that, that, that they're, they're putting on. But if you said it's a program that we're putting on, if you make that, if you'd make that change in your language from something they're doing to something we're doing, then you're like, all right, no, I'm, I'm in this. I'm in the boat, too. And um, the truth is we probably won't do a more costly event this year. And by costly, I mean not just finances, but just in terms of energy and effort. This is probably going to be our biggest outreach event effort to really reach, reach into our community this year. And um, so you might invest some of your time. You might invest some of your money because maybe uh, you end up reducing some of your work hours in order to be a part of it. Uh, you may invest a lot of your energy and maybe get tired. May, this week, if, you're, if you would come every night and help out, and we've got a lot of volunteers helping every five nights, um, you might be tired by the end of the week. <laughs> and that's all right, because any sacrifice that you make, if you do it for Jesus, he will take note of that. He'll see because, all, honestly, we, we work for Him. We labor for Him, for His goals and efforts and His uh, kingdom priorities. And so, also, you can... Another thing you can do is to... You could pray for fruitful outcomes. Pray that all the efforts that we do does result in fruit. People growing. People connecting with God. People um, redirecting their lives away from a path towards darkness and towards a path toward light. Um, you can also... Another way that you can help out and join us is to invite. And so just think for a second... Who who can I invite to register? Just like go through the rolodex of your mind of people that you work with, or you've got um, maybe you have kids in sports or in music, or you've got relatives, or you've got a neighbor. You know that your neighbor has some some kids next door. Um, think through, who are all the people that you know that you could invite to sign up and be a part of this. That's why we put flyers in your program. There's multiple copies of those flyers, um, so you can use those. We also you can share it on on social media. I could even give you a. a picture through phone that you could text to people as well. And uh, then one more way that you can really help us out is by if, uh, talking to the parents at the event. So if you do come on any of those nights, um, it would be a little bit of a, a bummer if we put on this great event and the kids had a ton of fun but we never actually talked to any of the parents. <laughs> so if you're there, say hello and meet people and find out, you know, build, build a conversation that way. <laughs> So these are some ways that you can help out in this effort that I really believe that God is providing for us. He's leading us into this, and uh, I'm really excited to see how he's going to use Valley Lights Church in Santa Clarita in two weeks. All right, so let me transition now into our message for the day. Once again, if if you're brand new here, my name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor of Valley Lights. We got started here about three years ago, and um, today we're, we're in the middle of a series called Worst Case Scenarios. And it's because we're walking through the letter of First Peter in the New Testament. And Peter, he's a guy, at the end of his letter, he, he writes, he's thinking about awful things that can happen to you. And he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual was happening to you. He says, basically, if you, if you're go, if you go through something really difficult, that's pretty normal. Don't be surprised. Worst case scenarios do come. God's Word gives us the guidance that we need to navigate some of the worst circumstances. And so we've been looking through, over the course of this series, I think this is is our fifth message, um, lots of different kind of trouble that you might find yourself in. And one place that you might find very difficult situations is in the workplace. If you've ever had a job with a boss or coworkers who are really difficult people to work with, you're in good company. <laughs> you've, uh, you're, you're not alone. Because, you know, when, when you work, some of the people that you work with, or maybe the people you work for, or customers you interact with, or people that you spend time with on the job, sometimes people can be aggressive and hostile. And if you've ever been treated harshly or unjustly, Peter would say, don't be surprised. <laughs> don't be surprised if something unusual is happening to you. And so for some of you, maybe, maybe you feel like, if you're, when you head into work, you feel like you're stepping into the ring. You're like, oh man, another day at the job. Maybe you wanna go and you wanna do your work and get paid, and but maybe you feel like you're taking shots. Like, man, like maybe you feel like you're getting demeaned or undervalued, not appreciated. And so today's message is called, How to Take a Punch. Because sometimes that's what it feels like. And maybe, and maybe taking a punch is the thing that God wants you to do. So when we're treated unjustly on the job, here's some things that we're tempted to do. One thing, you, you might be tempted to not follow through on your assignments. So like, maybe, maybe you're really trying to do the right thing, and it's just coming at you, and it's, it's like, it feels inju- unjust. This is injustice happening to me. So I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm actually not gonna really put my heart into my assignments. or I'm not gonna follow. I'm just gonna let those things run out. Or maybe you're tempted to quiet quit. I don't know if you've heard of quiet quitting. I think this got popular around the, like the pandemic COVID times. But basically quiet quitting is when an employee does the minimum requirement of the job and they, they don't put in any more time, any more effort or enthusiasm than absolutely necessary. So they're just like quietly like di- you know, disengaging. Um, maybe you'd be, you're tempted, if you're treated unfairly at work, you're tempted to grumble and complain with your coworkers about your boss. Or with your other coworkers about your other coworkers. And you do this when you roll your eyes, you drag your feet, you have those uh, obnoxious conversations in the break room or out in the parking lot. Another thing is you might trash talk your boss when you're at home. Because you're like, you get home and you're finally like, what? Well, you'll never believe what happened to me today. Like, jeez. And then you just, well, he's, he's not there, she's not there, so you can say whatever you want now. Or you might be tempted when treated unfairly to boss your boss around. You're like, no my boss is such an idiot that I, I need to help him. I need to help her know what to do. And you try to do that. Or, or you lead in a mutiny. You're like, no, I need, to, I need to get some support from other people so we can like, change what's happening here because I see the way it needs to change. Or maybe you'll study the OSHA poster and be like, all right, I need to find, I need to find a way to like, get, you know, tie the noose around his neck. You might try to get your boss fired. Or, all right, here's another one. You might bail on the job entirely. I mean, just quit. And you can. You can quit your job. But there's there's maybe some better and worse reasons to leave a job, and we're gonna look at that. And I'm gonna suggest to you that being treated unfairly isn't necessarily one of the reasons you should quit your job. If you've been treated unfairly at work, you've been taking shots in the head or in the body, or emotionally, or whatever, God's Word speaks to this type of situation. There's this phrase in 1 Peter that most people really don't like. It actually frames up a big section of the letter, and in 1 Peter 2.13, it says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. So, basically, what he's saying is submit yourself to every institution. Actually, that word, um, a th- human authority, that word authority in the Greek can also be translated creation. So it's almost like are like saying, like, submit to every institution that humans have created, which is very interesting. Why would you submit to human institutions and creations when a lot of the things that they make are bad or unjust or off track? Now, this, what follows is a series of commands. He's, this is the broad statement, submit to every human authority, and then he gives specifics of the different kinds of human institutions. So he talks about, in this series, we already looked at the government. He says, submit yourself to governing authorities, even the unjust governing authorities. Then he says, you know, later, he says, wives, submit to your husbands, even the ungodly husbands. We looked at that last week. That's really hard. Husbands have to submit themselves to a particular kind of difficulty in marriage and endure that. And then he says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, even the cruel ones, even the ones that do really unjust, unfair things. So th- those are those are some of the topics that we've looked at through this letter, and all of the, all of those are really difficult to obey. These verses about submission don't get a lot of publicity. You know, how sometimes people put Bible verses on paintings and they hang them up in the wall on the walls, like love one another and things like that. There's not a lot. Of, I've not seen a lot of these, like slaves submit to your masters on the wall or wives submit to your husbands on. The, they don't. These don't get a lot of publicity. What we're going to look at today. So it it brings up the question, how how do you, how do you submit yourself to really cruel, ungodly humans? Why would you do that? Why, why, if someone's being cruel and mistreating you, don't you just either fight back or get away? Why in the world would you submit yourself? Why would God want us to submit ourselves to injustice at work? As it relates to the job, here's here's one big principle submit yourself to your boss the best and the worst it's kind of easy to submit yourself to a good boss one that gives a lot of extra vacation time and you know takes you out to lunch and you got all those perks and stuff like that but it's not what peter says it's not what god says in the bible here it says submit to the best and the worst what if what if this guy was your boss so you know you guys are familiar with this guy he's a uh, It says Steve Carell, he's got world's best boss on there, Michael Scott. And I'm just kind of curious, if you, what if you actually were working in his office? Do you think it would be a good experience or a bad experience? Would would anybody actually want to work in that office? (laughs) Maybe, there's a few people, maybe. I mean, would you think generally working, submitting yourself to him would generally be a bad experience, I would think, right? (laughs) So, okay. You might get, it it depends on who you're friends with maybe. (laughs) You got to make the right alliances (laughs) on that cast. So who's right now, who is your boss? Who's your supervisor? Or maybe you have a few layers. Maybe you have, maybe at your workplace there's an executive team. Maybe there's a manager or maybe you have a supervisor over the manager. You probably have, you actually might have more than one boss, right? You might, maybe you have a few layers of people that you need to submit to. if you feel so inclined, go ahead and jot down some of their names, because this is gonna get really personal. So who's, who's, who's over you? You spend, you spend all of your time doing something, right? Every day, for those of you that are earning an income in some way, you, you, you gotta submit to somebody. Maybe there's other situations, maybe you're um, whatever, and if you're not currently employed earning an income, you might apply this to whoever else is over you in the moment. Um, you, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Like we said, like husbands, that was last week, or maybe you're a student, you'd submit yourself to the academic institution, professors, or whatever situation you're in, you spend your time every day doing something, hopefully you're responsible in some way, wherever your zone of responsibility is, who is over you? And here's what First Peter says in 2.18, it says, household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. So he's talking about slavery. Slavery existed in the first century when this was written. In some cases, slaves were totally owned by their masters. In other cases, it would be considered uh, indentured servitude where uh, some slaves voluntarily hired themselves out to make a living. And it wasn't always always the most extreme kind of slavery that may first come to your mind when you think of slavery. So really, people would voluntarily do this. They'd they'd enter a household in order to be provided and cared for. This was their income. Servants and slaves really made up a majority of the early church. Most people fit into this category of working for a household. And so this slave-master relationship in those days, it leads us to consider this economic and employment realm of life. So we looked at government. We looked at husbands and wives, which is really like the household institution. This is, this is really more of like the economic institution of human affairs. And today, we, we do the same thing. Nobody, you probably don't see yourself as a slave, but we do the same thing to earn a paycheck. We voluntarily put ourselves in an economic arrangement. You sign up, you, you commit to being a part of a job, and you have to do certain things to get a paycheck. So when we do this, we serve the interests of our employer in order to earn a living. So when Peter writes about submitting to all these different institutions, this is, this is really kind of like a business, employment, economic institution. And he goes straight to the most difficult example of an economic arrangement. He could have talked about job, like a variety of different jobs, but he just, he just goes to the, basically the worst-case scenario of economics, which would be a person is enslaved to a cruel boss. Do you feel that way ever <laughs> on your job? <laughs> Maybe you feel that way. I would guess your job is on the spectrum somewhere of, of that kind of dynamic, but you're, you're, you're at the very least you're in a less intense situation than a domineering slavery situation. But the command is clear. Our faith doesn't give us the right to rebel no matter how unfair or how harsh our bosses might be. So you've got options. If you're on the job and you're treated unfairly, you don't have to stay. You can find a new job, but you don't have the option to stay and be a rebel and do your, all, your own thing and do all the quiet quitting and the grumbling and all that stuff. We live in a society where it's really easy to just quit your job and find a new one. Compared to, compared to this environment, where slavery was more the thing and it was maybe you couldn't get out of it, look, if you don't like your job, you can quit. And you technically, you're supposed to give two weeks. Technically, you don't even have to do that. You could just quit and leave. Like Nobody is like, physically restraining you. So it's really easy for us to quit our jobs. And I think for most of human history, there hasn't been that much economic mobility and opportunity. So we live in a very blessed country, certainly, when it comes to this. So what this means is it's really, really easy to quit when it gets hard. Sometimes you have to stay, and maybe in the first century you had to stay in a hard situation because you just had to, but right now you could actually just kind of wiggle out of a hard situation. And so I'd like to explain from Scripture why submitting yourself to an unjust situation might actually be better in the long run. And if you're in a situation at your job that you don't like, you may be like, I wish I did not come today. (laughs) So here's how you submit on the job. First, take the pain for greater gain. It may feel very painful to stay in the job. And painful meaning like you're getting hurt, or painful, you're just really frustrated. Like, the anger and frustration that you feel at injustice is is its own kind of pain. Pain comes, um, maybe you're wrongly accused of something, maybe you're just being hassled, maybe you're being pushed or mistreated in some way, or like, look, I'm doing my job. And then, you know, it's not acknowledged the way that it should be. But, you know, the amazing thing is that endurance brings the blessing of God. So the next verse, Peter writes about this. He goes on to verse 19. He says, For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, meaning you're very mindful of God's presence while you're working and you're interacting and being treated unfairly, you're mindful of God's presence. He says, It brings favor if someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and you're beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. You know, God could have said here, he said, you know, you need to suffer and endure it because I said so. No, he says you suffer and endure it and actually it is going to bless you. Which means don't give up and bail at the first sign of difficulty. I know that's a really popular way to approach things in our culture today. Gets hard. Bail. I'm out of there. I'm going to say, have you considered that God is with you at work? He's right there, and he may be developing something in you through the pain and the pressure. Sometimes all we see is the painful and frustrating situations, and we might not see much bigger agenda that God has in developing us and really blessing us. He goes on, you know, when he says, if you, if you endure it, this brings favor. Jesus used that same word for favor in Luke 6.32. He said, if you love your enemies, which sometimes they feel like enemies at the job, if you love your enemies, actually, sometimes they are. An enemy is somebody that wants... Bad things to happen to you. A friend is somebody that's really working for your good. There actually might be people at your job or in your life that do want bad things to happen to you, and maybe they even try to make those things come about. Those would be enemies. And here, here thanks thinks Jesus. He says, love your enemies, do what is good, and land expecting nothing in return. And he says, then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High this means God will re- reward every wrong endured. Have you been mistreated? Have you endured it? If you have endured it, God will reward it. He will keep track of that. God knows. He is, he's present. We really need his help and his favor. God can lighten our load. Some of the, some of the, fa- some of the favor that you might get may be eternal, and that would be better, but some of the favor you get from God right now, maybe, maybe there's ways that he just starts lightening your load. Or maybe he eases the pain of the workday. Or he can create opportunities for raises or promotions or transfers. I'm convinced that we cut those blessings short if we just bail prematurely or or start punching back. Because that's the other thing you want to do sometimes. It's like, no, I'm not going to be treated this way. Pow! I'm not doing that. You, You cut those blessings short. You give up your favor with God if you fail to endure. There was a time when um, I was working for Boston Physical Therapy. I wanted to be a physical therapist before I became a pastor. I was in that field for a little while and the therapist, the head therapist of the clinic I was in, wanted us to reuse some of the medical equipment on multiple patients. And I'm, I thought, this is like... You can't, do, you can't reuse the same equipment on bodies and stuff like that. That's really unsanitary. And I... Um, it seemed to me, I don't know for sure, but it seemed to me it was like a cost savings effort to just keep reusing, not have to buy new things. And um, I really didn't like that. And I thought it was wrong to do that. And I felt like I had good reason. And so one of the things I did was I, um, I started talking to some of the other coworkers. I'm like, guys, can you believe that? And they're like, yeah, man. That's like, oh, like, he said to do that? Like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. So I'm doing the grumbling thing, the complaining thing, and like starting a mutiny. And um, so I thought, you know what, why don't I, um, why don't I bring up this unsanitary practice that I've been basically told to do at a staff meeting and then everyone can hear it and then he'll realize that he's off track and that he shouldn't be doing this. So I did, I did that. In a staff meeting, I brought this up and the other, the other therapists who didn't know, were like, oh, we're supposed to, you, wanna, you wanna reuse this equipment? Like, no, we can't do that. And, I, and I, in this situation, the boss had to backpedal because I sort of exposed him in that way. And I thought, okay, this is good. After the meeting, I like, this is good. Like, all right, now we can, now the clinic can start functioning the way it needs to. And um, what I didn't expect was what was gonna happen to me the next day <laughs> when I came in. Oh man, he was so angry. He was livid. He lit into me. I was the first uh, assistant in that morning. And um, he, uh, he reamed me out and he just said, I hadn't quite done anything yet that he could fire me for, but it, he was going to watch me like a hawk to make sure the first thing that I did that was not right. I'm out of there. And um, I'm like, oh, man, I felt, I felt awful. I was like, this is the way I felt. And I think i was starting to realize some of the conviction was settling in. I realized that um, this is one of those situations. I didn't know this. Actually, I didn't know what Scripture said at that time about this. Submit to the human authorities. And the truth is, if, if I really did believe that it was wrong for that practice. I could, I could have left the, the job for the, on that reason. I was like, no, I don't feel like ethically or whatever that I can, I can comply with this, and I could just respectfully leave. But I actually didn't care that much that I wanted to quit my job over it. I wanted to stay and make it go the way I wanted it to go. And I wasn't following. I had not submitted. I had not done the thing. And I wasn't really conscious of God or thinking about what God wanted me to do in this situation. And um, I was actually totally... Deaf to the Holy Spirit's attempt to really convict me that I was really being insubordinate and um, I did I didn't know what to do. So I asked my uh, my pastor at the time What I should do and he said you need to go back and humble yourself and tell him what you did wrong Just call it what it is say that you had been rebellious against his commands and all this stuff So I finally I humbled myself and went back and um, it did soften him a little bit And I was very careful to try to like be honorable on the job and um, over the period of time, I slowly, over the next year, I did slowly actually start to regain his favor. And um, I had to be very careful, very submissive. <laughs> and then I actually left. When I did finally leave the job, I actually left the job to, become, to go um, part, work part-time for a church, which is like, you know, if I'm going to go work for a church, I should be the kind of person that a boss respects. But I did. I was able to leave finally. I left on good terms. In fact, they had... Um, they had like a lunch for me the day that I left, and um, by God's grace, I was able to turn in a more honorable direction, really submit myself to whatever the boss wanted. And um, in situations in life, there are, there are limits. So you're, you can't do things evil. Like if your boss commands you to do something that's straight-up wrong and evil, you can't do that. There's limits, and you can find new employment. But there's, there's a thing that happens where sometimes things get difficult with a boss, or you disagree, and maybe, maybe you do leave, or maybe you quit, or you move on, and it, maybe there's a cycle of, of difficult bosses. If you're, if you're the kind of person that has had a cycle of difficult bosses in your life, it might be that God keeps handpicking your bosses, and he's wanting to develop you, and maybe grind some things out of you the way I needed something just grinded out of me, I know guys that have had a streak of difficult, controlling bosses. It was like, it's a different name, different face, different person, but it was kind of like it was the same person at every new company. And I think God was wanting them to connect the dots, that God is trying to teach endurance and submission, and really trusting the Lord rather than quitting. Because, you know, what's easier? Is it easier to endure injustice, or is it easier just to quit when it gets hard? Guys just tend to quit when it gets hard. So I, I've, seen, I've seen other guys who've had a string of jobs, just job after job after job, success at work seems to evade them. Man, like I just can't seem to put it together. And like, I feel like it's not coming together. And then there's like maybe mentors and coaches. If a, if a guy's having a hard time putting success together, it would really be helpful to listen to mentors and coaches to help make some of the connections about what's happening. Maybe wise input would help spare some of the trouble that comes from unemployment or job trouble or financial trouble. Or, or if, if you don't get any input and you're having trouble at work and you, you just go off and you, you could really damage your future by doing something that's really dishonorable that you regret later, a bad blow up could follow you professionally for years. So here's another very important aspect of submitting on the job. It's to shadow Jesus's example and to entrust yourself to the Father. The next thing that Peter does in this, in this chapter, in verse 21, he, says, he goes to Jesus, and he says, for, for you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So this is a really powerful description of Jesus, and if you just take it in for a moment, So think about how Jesus was treated with such disrespect. It was awful. They spit on him. They pushed him around. They mocked him. And that kind of just awful degrading treatment was totally unjust because he didn't do anything wrong. All he did was love people, do good to people. He did the right thing always. And despite all of that mistreatment, Jesus never took a swing at anybody. He Never took a swing. He never called them, like, you idiots. Like, if you only knew who I was. I mean, he could have said something like that, right? Like, you, you, like, you fools. Jesus never said, he never, he never even threatened them. He never said, you guys, just you wait. You don't know what's coming to you. You're going to see what, you're going to get yours. He never said that. He, he could have. He could have said those things, and Jesus was getting swallowed up in a sea of injustice being done to him. And what he did was he prayed for them while he was on the cross. He stayed on the cross to die for us. And I can guarantee you, there is nobody in this room who has received a greater injustice than Jesus has. And and besides that, we're not perfect in our dealings like he was. He was flawless. So that's why Peter goes to this example of Jesus, and he says, at the beginning of that section about Christ, he says, you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you. So that, that idea, you are called to this, he, he's saying you're, you are called to unjust suffering. Have you ever thought about God's calling on your life to receive unjust suffering? You're called to that. Oh my goodness. Like I, like I said, this is not usually like painted on walls, usually anywhere. We don't like to think about that. In every way, Jesus' situation was more extreme and more unfair, but Jesus submitted himself to the injustice or really, to what was he submitted himself to, to God and allowed the injustice to happen. And we should be glad that he did, because as Paul Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is a reference to Isaiah 53, highlighting the picture of Christ's suffering like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus did that to make us right with God. We were like sheep wandering off, going astray, doing our own thing, following our own opinions and our own instincts and our own desires about what life is. And now we can have fellowship with God. That giant chasm between us and God has been filled. If we put our faith in Jesus, and if we, we can trust him, even when things are dangerous or difficult, because we know that ultimately he will lead us to safe pasture eventually. He secures our soul. So here's my question to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're, if you're a true Christian here today, how much do you trust God? How well you follow human authority reveals how much you trust God. If you don't follow your bosses and whatever human authorities are over you, how much do you really trust God? Because God is responsible for handpicking all the leaders over us. You got to ask, like, do I, do I really believe that God has put this boss over me in my life right now, or this authority, or this human leader? I don't know if you've ever seen an, an org chart, like an organization chart, where you kind of structure all the employees at the company, and so you got, you know, you got the boss at the top, and maybe it branches out, and then maybe these employees have other employees under them. Anyway, you know, it all kind of funnels to the, the boss being at the top, but imagine Imagine kind of like, you know, zooming out of this picture a little bit, and then you see, actually, the boss over the boss is God. (laughs) God is at the top of the org chart at your your workplace or in your home or wherever you are. That's why Peter writes that he's the overseer. It's actually with a capital O, the overseer. So the truth is, when you work, when I work, when we work, we're working for God. So here's one more powerful, powerful reason to submit to the authorities over you. And this one is really, really huge theme in, in the book of 1 Peter. This is a big thing. It's to return good deeds for evil to maintain a powerful witness. He says, Dear friends, this is in chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day He visits. So, those sinful desires that we need to stay away from, that could be your, our frustration and our anger, our lashing out, or our desire to bail and quit, or our pride. We tend to really focus on the job. We tend to focus on my rights and what I deserve. And I should not be treated this way. That's what we focus on. That's normal. But He's saying, no, no, you, um, you abstain from those sinful desires, you don't get aggressive to resolve your own injustice for yourself. You don't, you don't bail. The truth is, when we stick it out, if we suffer injustice because we're following Jesus Christ, people notice it and they wonder why. When you return good for evil, it stands out. Nobody does that. Nobody returns good for evil. Your, your good deeds become a powerful link to Jesus. Because people see that and they're like, they ask about it. Man, that's crazy. Like, what, what is the thing that you're hoping in, that you're able to be good when people are treating you evil? Hostile unbelievers might turn to God in repentance and find new life in Jesus as a result of seeing your good works. Because of your good deeds, the suffering and the injustice that we hate so much, it becomes a strange gift. That suffering and injustice becomes something to be embraced, not to be avoided. If our biggest concern is our own comfort and my own rights, then go ahead and just quit and lash out or lash out. But if our biggest concern is the thing that really drives you in life is the us for them mentality, if your biggest concern was a witness for Christ, then the injustice is something to be embraced. This is not an easy thing to do. This is not an easy message. But I would say the more painful circumstances sometimes provide the most powerful picture. Jesus walked through a whole lot of pain. And the picture of his love for us is incredibly powerful. So here's a few next steps you might consider. And just, this will wrap us up. One thing you might do is maybe do a performance evaluation with your overseer. And I don't mean your manager at work. I mean the capital O overseer. And go to God this week. You've got some questions on your handout. But ask God this question in prayer. Um, has God called me to suffer unjustly? You look at First Peter chapter two to answer that one. Ask yourself: Would my boss say that I conduct myself honorably on the job? Like, what if what if someone was to call your boss up and ask about you? What kind of things would he say or she say? Or here's this one's really hard. Will anyone on the job begin following Christ because of me? Will anyone? Will any of my unrighteous, unbelieving worldly, hostile co-workers start following Jesus because of me, because of my good deeds? Here's another question. Do I bless people who are a pain? If Jesus says, you know, those people that do evil, you do good to them. Do I, do I have a regular habit of blessing the obnoxious, painful people at work? So talk to God. Pray through this passage. Ask him to show you. Another next step might be to do good to the people mistreating you. And that's that last question. But if you do good When you're mistreated, that turns up the volume of Christ's message in your job. Doing good, especially returning for mistreatment. So you can um, submit quickly, follow really well, choose your wise words, find ways to bless others. You you actually might know in your own specific job or your own responsibility, you might know some ways specifically to to do good to others. And then lastly, you might memorize 1 Peter 2.23 when you're feeling the grind, and the pain, and the fire, and the pressure, this verse may really be a lifeline. And it's, it's this, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So take that verse with you to work. Meditate on it before you head out the door, before you log on the computer, or before you interact. Keep that perspective close. I hope this has been helpful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning, and for the power and life found in your words. And this is a, a lot of a lot of the commandments in First Peter are really difficult to swallow; they're very really difficult to apply. But I pray that you give us the grace, Lord, the understanding to how to live this out in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.